Uh, praise God. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to the book of Lamentations. The book of Lamentations. And we are in Philippians 4 4 still, okay? And that verse, but I'm not, I would have just, if I told you to go to Philippians, you'd go there, I'd be there for 20 seconds, and I'd say go to Lamentations. So Lamentations is a little harder to find, so I want to get you on your way. Uh, it's not very hard. But uh, in Philippians, he says, Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. Amen. Is that a suggestion or a command? Amen. We're commanded to rejoice in the Lord. And what command would you rather obey than rejoicing in our God? Amen. It's a great command. Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. And then he emphasizes it. And it's not just be happy. Don't worry. Be happy. That doesn't work. I mean, how do you stop? Just stop worrying, right? When there's worries around and just try to be happy. Like the old song said, the song wasn't very theologically correct. But it says rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. We can always rejoice in the Lord because no matter what is caving in around us, the Lord is stable. And the Bible says, he, I change not. The Lord, God says that in his word. In fact, the scriptures say there's no shadow of turning within him. Amen? He doesn't, he doesn't shadow, he's faithful. There's no shadow of turning. We don't have to ever wonder if he's made a mistake. He doesn't. He's in, it's impossible for God to lie. It's impossible for him to make a mistake because he's the infinite God who made everything and is perfect. He's revealed himself to us in his word. So it's imperative that we get this down. And I really believe you're going to be encouraged by this message because it's God's message. It's God's word today. And uh, hopefully you'll get it. And we've been talking about it. I said, I'm going to stay on this for a while. But it's not like we're just staying on one verse. We're jumping all over the scripture. So we'll understand what it means in times of trial. And we're in a difficult season right now with COVID and everything. And a lot of people are, you know, suicide rates are up in our country Suicide rates are through the roof in Japan right now and other countries uh, that are suffering. There's a lot of turmoil, a lot of depression, a lot more drug use, a lot more crime. Even though people are hardly getting out compared to what they used to, there's far more crime. There's far more abuse, domestic abuse in, in homes and so forth. It's horrific what's going on. But you know what? With us, we're called, we're commanded to rejoice in the Lord. Amen? Now, there's going to be times where you just go through struggles. There'll be times where there's pain. doesn't mean you never can weep, but the Bible talks about weeping yet rejoicing. Amen? Jesus was called the man of sorrows, yet it says he had joy above all his companions. We can weep and hurt over a situation, but in the depths of our heart, we can still be rejoicing in the Lord because he is there for us. Amen? Because he is our God, because of who he is, because of his faithfulness, because of his goodness, because of his love, because of his mercy. Amen? Because his compassions never fail. We can rejoice in him. Amen? That's an awesome truth. That's an an exciting reality that no matter what you're going through, the most hellacious time in your life, and this isn't hellacious compared to, for some people it is. For some people it definitely is. But for most people it's nothing like what many went through in the scripture. It's nothing like what Jeremiah was going through for most people. Yet Jeremiah got down on his own people when things were getting rough and he said, if you can't run with the footmen, the foot soldiers, if you can't run with them, if, you can't, if, if you're going to just fall apart and just dissolve, in that kind of threat, what are you going to do when the chariots come, the horsemen come in the thickets of the Jordan? When it gets really thick to maneuver, really hard, and now you're dealing with, you know, horsemen. Don't be crushed over little trials because heavier trials are coming. We are not in the great tribulation yet, amen? We're not in the last three and a half years of history when Jesus said it would be so horrible that if he didn't return, no life would be saved, Amen? So even then, at that time, we need to look to the Lord. And thank God, Jesus said, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age, amen. The Lord said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, amen. We have these wonderful promises. All he calls us to do is look to him in faith and we remain faithful to him. 
Now, it's important that we get this. It's important that we understand this. I did not know. I'm sorry. I'm just out of the box excited right away. And I'm excited about this message. I'm that. I just was going to get into the Word, but I'm so excited about what I'm going to share with you that I can't contain myself. Uh, and I feel like the Lord, through allowing me to get COVID and coming near, supposedly near death, you know, in the hospital, the Lord used that to get me just, you know, just to ratchet things up even more, you know. And I've been praying, Lord, give me more intimacy with you, you know. Help my latter years, at least, in my, at least I pray, may our latter years be more fruitful than our initial years, you know. And uh, it's just been awesome how he's just blown certain scriptures up uh, to me that sometimes I just was, took for granted or was thankful for, loved, memorized some of them. But it's like, boom. And he wants us all. And of course, I don't pray. I pray that for my brothers and sisters in Christ. I pray, Father, please, so we can all, as iron sharpens iron, we can sharpen each other, be strengthened. Amen. So it's just interesting. When he says rejoice the Lord, again, I say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be made known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing but in everything with prayer and, and supplication or pleading, as the King, NASB says, uh, with thanksgiving, because there's always something thankful for. The Lord, he loves us. Amen. He's preparing a place for us. Our names are written in heaven. Jesus said, don't rejoice that you have the power of the demons, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. There's always a greater thing to rejoice in than there, there's something to be sad for. Do you realize that? Whatever you could be sad about, and as painful as it could be, the love of God toward you and his plan for you in Christ Jesus, and the fact that you are seated in heavenly places, the Bible says, because you are in Christ and that's where he is seated, transcends whatever trial you're going through. That's why you can have joy in this your trial. And you can have tears because something is painful or you're hurting for someone, but you can say, you know what, Lord? I know that you say and you promise in Romans 8.18, as Paul said, that he doesn't consider these present sufferings to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. And that is in that context of suffering and the whole world groaning to be delivered. It's in that context that Paul goes on to say that we know that God works all things together for the good, for those who love him or the call according to his purpose. That verse is so beautiful, but it's even more beautiful when you realize the context. You know, it's interesting too because in the book of Lamentations, it's one of the saddest books you ever read. It's five funeral dirges. The book Lamentations to Lament means to cry. The book is called Crying. And Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. He didn't have one convert. and He was rejected by his own people. Yet, he says, yet this I call to mind. He calls something to mind. And therefore I have hope. In the midst of him just lamenting that everything's like wormwood poison. And it's just, and he's just, you know. Yet this I call to mind, therefore I have hope. I want to know what you're calling to mind. Jeremiah that gives you hope in that circumstance. And he says, because of your great love, we are not consumed. We should be consumed because of our sins. Yet because of your great love, we are not consumed. Amen? And, and your, uh, your loving kindness or your, your mercies are new how often? New every morning. He goes on to say, your compassions don't fail, for they are new every morning. And then he says, the most famous part of that verse, great is thy faithfulness. And it's in that, but it's not, and if you just read that, you say, wow, Jeremiah, man, you know, but the context, just like Romans 8.28 is even heavier when you realize the context of suffering. So that, that, that in the middle of these five funeral dirges, that passage where Jeremiah brings that up, it's like one of the few bright spots in the book, yet it's central to our own spiritual survival, to look to the Lord and rejoice in him during hard times, because we will all go through our own lamentations. We'll all go through funeral dirges, even our own eventually. 
If your funeral, you won't be there. You just be totally rejoiced in the Lord, right? But uh, you'll be on the way to it. So it's interesting. When you look at Lamentations, it's interesting because Jeremiah didn't have one single convert that we read about. Sometimes I think, what about Baruch? He was like his secretary that wrote for him, you know? You always read, he had no converts. When you look through his book, you're like, nobody's listening. Although, guess what? We're benefiting from Jeremiah this morning, amen? Thousands and thousands, tens of thousands, millions of people have benefited from Jeremiah. And I don't think he saw that coming for years and years and years. That's why you don't give up. You don't know the effect your life is going to have. It's like a little pebble. It doesn't seem to do much, but it ripples across the pond. And Jesus said, just giving someone a cold glass of water in his name, you won't lose your reward. It means something to God. Amen. Counts every hair on our head. So now Jeremiah, man, because he was rejected, because he was prophesying disaster to come upon Judah, the southern kingdom, Jerusalem, right? Benjamin, and the, and the, the, because the northern kingdom had already been judged 150 years earlier. And then Judah's sin exceeded, we're told in the scripture, those of the northern kingdom. They were even worse. And the Lord had to give them both. He had to remarry them because he says, I'm going to give you and make a new covenant with you. He didn't say just Israel, the northern kingdom, Judah too. And I'm going to be a husband to you. I'm going to make a new covenant with you. Not like the covenant I made with you before. But guess what? They were in rebellion to him. And the first couple chapters of Lamentations deal mostly with his judgment on the elders, the priests, the leaders of Israel who had led the people astray because they were saying, peace, peace. And that you don't have to repent when you read the book of Jeremiah, which comes right before Lamentations. I think it's 51 chapters long. One of the longest books in the Bible. And they were saying, peace, peace. They're saying, you know, you don't have to repent of your sin to be right with God. Does that sound familiar? That's one of the biggest lies today. They're saying, we're not going to go through troubled times in Babylon for 70 years. God would never let us go through that. They're promising just peace to everyone. And it's like peace and prosperity gospel that you hear on TBN, right? And because Jeremiah was prophesied dying disaster, I wish I had more time to get into that, that kind of background. But I just want to say that they threw him on a dunghill. Stinky. That's where they threw him. And then after that, they got permission because it was prophesying disaster from the king to throw him in a, a cistern, a deep well that he couldn't get out of. And he was sunk into the mud. And then guess what? By the grace of God, as that well eventually began to fill up during the, uh, with water, you know, he was able to live through that. And he, some had food was thrown down to him. Otherwise, he would have starved to death. This is Jeremiah. Have you been through that lately? No, but we go through the pit sometimes, right? We go through times where you just feel like you're starving, you know, you're drowning, you know. Feel like you've been rejected. No one's heeding uh, the message that you believe God's put on your heart from his word, you know. Or a myriad of things that you're going through. Some form of rejection in your life. But guess what? If you seek the Lord and you rejoice in the Lord, you put your focus on him. That's the key. That's, that's, that's huge. That's, that's so important. Now, it's interesting. Jeremiah has been called the wailing wall of the Bible. Wailing walls in Jerusalem where you see all the Jews, you know, praying and, and many of them weeping because of what's happened to Jerusalem. What's well, called the wailing wall of the Bible. It's been called the symphony of sorrows. And it's just amazing because, yeah, around 586 B.C., Jerusalem was sacked and Jeremiah was part of a witness to that. He said it was coming. Even as it began to come, the false prophets, when you read through Jeremiah, were still saying, don't worry, it's not going to happen. They're just denying reality. 
There was a lot of fake news in Jeremiah's day too, okay? And a lot of those that didn't want to talk about sin and the need for repentance and, you know. So now, he was uh, in rough shape, but we'll just look at a few verses that, that lead up to the main verse I want to talk about. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 20. Look, O Lord, and consider, Jeremiah states, whom have you ever treated like this? So he feels like he's being mistreated. Whom have you ever treated like this? That's, I'm going to keep trying to talk loud while whoever's cell is going off continues to go off. Uh, should women eat their offspring? Now that's heavy. Should women eat their offspring? The infants they have nurtured, should priests and prophets be killed in the sanctuary of the Lord? Because Bab- the Babylonians come, had come. They were starving to death, many of them. Their babies had died. They were eating their offspring. Chapter 4, verse 10, you don't have to turn there, but it says, with their own hands, uh, compassionate women have cooked their own children and became their, it became, became their food when my people were destroyed. Wow. That just shows you, I'm trying to get you an understanding of how hard the times were, where they're resorting to wickedness. Chapter 3, verse 1. Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 1. I think it's just amazing when you think about this because in Jeremiah, he says, I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He feels like the Lord is punishing him too. Now, we, there's a difference between God's wrath whereby we suffer because of punishment that we deserve as Christians. Uh, that doesn't happen. If you're a Christian, you don't suffer God's wrath because that was poured out on Christ. You don't suffer eternal punishment. But you are disciplined, amen? The Lord, the Lord does discipline us, amen? First, the Lord will speak to you. But if you don't listen to him when he speaks to you, then he will spank you, amen? He speaks, then he spanks. And like any good father, he's the greatest father of all. He's perfect. He doesn't want to have to spank, amen? He does it for our own good. Now, it's interesting. He laments, God won't hear my prayers, you know? And he, he, he's like a bear who mauls and uh, dismembers me, okay? In verse 14, he says, I became the laughingstock to all my people. Now, it's interesting. He becomes a laughingstock, Jeremiah does, because, you know, he's mocked. He's the song of the drunkards like David. He talks about that. He's, he talks about being the song of, you know. Uh, in fact, if you look at, let me see. Jeremiah chapter 1, or Jeremiah chapter 2 again, I'm sorry. We read just some heavy things that, you know, how uh, the prophes- prophesied by Baal, there's all these false prophets in the land. Uh, they walk after things that did not profit. They didn't profit them. Sin doesn't really profit you. And then in chapter 3, verse 14, where I left off, uh, return, O faithless sons, declares the Lord, Right? Why? For I'm a master to you, and I will take you from a city uh, and two from a family, and I will bring you to Zion. That's Jeremiah chapter 3. So he says he's going to take them, right? And take them from their families. Now think about this. Have you, any of you been taken from your families into a foreign land? Any of you been thrown into a well after you were thrown on a dunghill? If you were thrown on a dunghill, and then you were, you know, a bunch of poop, and then you are thrown in a well to, left for dead, that's, that's greater chances that you win the multi-million dollar lottery than that, okay? 
and then the people are just, you know, eating their own kids. And then in uh, Lamentations chapter 3, I, want, I wish I had time to read the whole chapter, and I, wish, I encourage you to read the book of Lamentations. But uh, he says in verse 2 that he's made to walk in darkness, not in light. Okay? Surely against me he has turned his hand repeatedly all the day. He has caused my flesh and my skin to waste away. He has broken my bones. Wow, I mean, he just goes on and on. So he feels like the Lord has turned against him because of his own sin, his own unfaithfulness. And to me, Jeremiah is a lot like Job in the sense that he misunderstands God's discipline versus God's wrath at a certain point, and uh, he misses that. And then now we're in Lamentations chapter 3. You could go ahead and go to, go ahead and pick it up at verse 13. He made arrows his quiver to enter into my inward parts. Ouch. I have become a laughingstock. I referenced that verse to all my people. But look at the next part. The, their mocking song all the day. They constantly mock him with songs. They made songs about Jeremiah, you know, to mock him. You know, he's, he, was the, he was the object of, you know, the, comet, the, you know, the, 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 the uh, late night shows, you know. The late night shows, those would be the kind of guys that would be mocking Jeremiah. You know, they'll mock Christians and so forth as well. Uh, he has filled me with bitterness. He has made me drunk with wormwood. Verse 15, he has broken my teeth with gravel. He has made me cower in the dust. My soul has been rejected from peace. I have forgotten happiness. It doesn't have the joy, right? So I say my strength has perished and so has my hope from the Lord. Verse 19, remember my affliction and my wandering and the wormwood and bitterness. So there's a little cry, a little prayer there. Verse 20, surely my soul remembers and is bowed down within me. This, now, this is what's heavy, man. This is how he gets out of that funk of depression. Right here. Verse 21 through 23, and what follows actually is key. Okay? This I recall to mind. Therefore, I have hope. I want to know what he's recalling to mind so you have hope in this circumstance, don't you? What's he doing? This is written for our instruction. In, in the scriptures tell us in the book of Romans... Well, actually, in 1 Corinthians, twice we're told that what happened to them when God punished them and disciplined them in Israel, and sometimes he punished them with wrath because they were hellbound because they turned back on him and wouldn't uh, return. Other times he disciplined them because as children, he was able to get their attention. But it says these things were written down for our instruction so that we don't fall in the same way they did. You get that also in Hebrews chapter 4. But in Romans chapter 15 and 16, it talks about how he wrote these things in the Old Testament as well, other things so that we would have hope. Amen? And that's why this is written. So you and I could draw a line and say, how did Jeremiah have hope in his circumstances? How did he get hope? He recalls something to mind. Therefore, I have hope. Why does he recall the mind? Verse 22. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never what? Cease. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. Now, the NASB says, for his compassions never fail. But it's interesting. Uh, a better translation that how many don't have his compassions never fail after that, but they have something a little bit different that says, because of his mercies, we're not consumed. Anybody have that? Come on, just different. Over here, what do you have, bro? Uh, his mercies never come to an end. Right. His mercy is never... Uh, okay, now how many of you have this right before that? But many of you have uh, this, though. 
How many you have? Because of his loving kindness or mercies or love, we are not consumed. Anybody have that? Ivan, you have that? NIV has that. That's right. Okay. Anna, you have that as well? You have the NIV? The non-inspired version? No, I'm just kidding. It's a very, very good translation. It is a very, very good translation in a lot of ways, you know. Uh, but certain translations have, you know, and that's how I've memorized it because I've, and I've studied the Hebrew there personally because some have that translation as 23 or verse uh, 22, I'm sorry. The Lord's uh, loving kindness and deeds never cease. Now, uh, and then for his compassions never fail. Most translations have some kind of rendering of the Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. That's why indeed, what? Or the Lord's great kindness or great love never ceases. That's how I've it memorized. And the next part of that, for his compassions never fail, I'm sorry, that's the part that is in dispute. Does it mean his compassions never fail, which he just said at the beginning of the verse and just kind of repeated it in a different way, beginning of verse 22? Or is it because of his mercies or loving kindness we are not consumed. And I, I prefer the NSB to most translations most times because it's a very literal translation. When it comes to this translation, the NSB, in this verse, it's not about whether it's literal enough or not. We're talking about a difference in manuscripts, okay? Some manuscripts have that, you know, uh, the end of verse uh, 2, uh, his compassions never fail. Uh, other, translation, other manuscripts have his... Uh, because of his compassions or his mercies, we are not consumed. Uh, the NASB is using the Septuagint, which is a Greek translation of the Old Testament here, and that's what any translation is using that is not uh, that isn't you know typically saying have not been consumed. But the Masoretic text, and I was like, Lord, help me here, because I could spend a half an hour into the technical aspect of this because I've studied it for longer than that. Uh, and I came to the conclusion, no, the best translation is it's because of his mercy or his loving kindness, his compassions, that we're not consumed, okay? And the reason I believe that personally, uh, some say, well, that's the Masoretic text. Masoretic is a Hebrew text, okay? Just because it's a Hebrew and the most respected, you know, it's most of your Old Testament in Hebrew, just because it's the most respected as far as a Hebrew text goes doesn't mean it's automatically always the best witness uh, attestation. But I want to say this. It does, some say, well, it doesn't have an early witness of that being quoted from like, you know, in the early church period. But that's not true. You even have Jerome, you know, the uh, Vulgate translation early on translating it, uh, translating it from what we see in the Masoretic text later. Uh, so because the, the, the manuscripts, I should say, are copies of copies, you know. So, uh, and there's other reasons. I believe the context, because it looks like Israel or Judah has just been destroyed, right? Because of your mercies were not what? Consumed. And he's talking about how it looks like we've just been wiped out, destroyed, forever consumed, you know, no hope. But he's saying, no, that's not the truth. The truth is, and by the way, you still get the first half of the same meaning. In the first half, verse 22, the Lord's loving kindness indeed never cease. His compassions never fail. Okay. Fail could also be understood. Uh, this could be a parallelism. And I'm getting bogged down a little bit. I don't want to get you bogged down and lose anybody here by getting too technical with you. But uh, the more I studied it, the more I realized, you know what, even the grammar in the Septuagint doesn't fit. It's just, uh, according to, you know, uh, you know scholars, that, that just their main study is grammar and language and so forth. But I just want to say, and I think it's powerful, you know, 
it's beautiful that it's because of his great love. And the first part of verse 22. Why does he say, I recall the mind, therefore I have hope? Because verse 22, the Lord's loving kindness indeed never ceases. Because even though we are being radically disciplined, everything is falling around us, we're being brought into a foreign nation by pagans who don't fear God. And the prophets are being killed. And the elders and the priests who are wicked have turned against the covenant are being put to death. Amen. And Josiah is no longer king. Josiah stopped being king. That's when things really got rough for, for uh, Jeremiah. And then he had Zedekiah over him who was not a great king. Uh, all kinds of horrific things are going on. But guess what? The Lord doesn't change. The Lord's loving kindness has never ceased. He's still stable. And he's the main one that should count in all of our lives. Because he's the one that made us. Amen. He's the one that redeemed us with his precious blood. He's the one that's preparing a place for us. He's the one that we're going to stand before. He's the one that should be your focus. And if, because things are to crumble around us possibly, right? right? Who knows? Things do individually at times. So you always need to be close to the Lord. And they will nationally, if we keep going down the course we're going through, we're already under God's judgment to a degree in this nation. You can't kill 60 million babies, plus over 60 million now, 62, 3, 4 million, and just think, we're okay, you know? This country's in trouble, you know? And right now, if you look at well, that's what's going on, it looks like we're being sold out in a lot of ways, you know? Right before our eyes, you know? It's quite interesting. So the Lord's loving kindness and these never cease. And, you know, and basically, if, it, if the best translation of that is for his compassions never fail, that's simply a reiteration of, of what we had just read. But it's interesting when you think about this, it is because of his compassion and because his loving kindness has never ceased that we're not consumed, amen? That we're not wiped out. We all deserve God's wrath. We all deserve God's judgment. We all deserve, and, that, and that's one of the, I have in your translation, the NIV, I was just playing with you on the NIV, uh, because I believe that's a better translation in that particular verse. Uh, but either way, the truth is the same because if it's, the other, it would still say the same thing the first part of the verse says. And that's that his compassions don't fail. His loving kindness never cease, ceases. And it's just interesting to me that you have to be disciplined as a person. His, this is something by way of application that you have to make sure you get this. You have to make sure you understand this. You can't just go through a trial and just like the waves in a sea out in the ocean and just let it pummel you and drown you. You have to be disciplined, and that means you need to recall to mind the Lord's goodness. Amen? Because you, there is a spiritual war, and Satan is the father of lies. And he wants to tell you at that point you have no hope, that you're doomed, God doesn't love you, that he does fail, you know, that there's no hope for you. And you have to recall to mind the promises of the Lord. Amen? You have to recall to mind that God is good. Amen? It's one of the first things I taught my kids and one of the first things I taught my grandchildren. God is good. I've told you that before. Because that's the main thing that Satan likes to attack. Because otherwise we won't anchor in the Lord. Think of the book of Job. Just didn't think he could be forgiven. Amen. Thought he was doomed. And he was the most righteous man on earth. And he got shaky there for a little bit. But he held on to the Lord's goodness. And said, I know what the Lord's done with me. I'll turn out his gold. He's able to return to that. Even though at times it's like, man, he's, you know, he's like, why won't you forgive me? You know, I wish I was never born. You know, I prefer strangling to life, being strangled. He's having some hard times too, okay? And I love it that the Lord shows us the warts, okay? Unlike these mythological books where, you know, 
you have all this grandeur and stuff and humans are exalted in certain ways. You see the warts. The only one that doesn't have warts is the creator. That's why you can trust him, amen? And we ought to, and we need to put our trust in him. So we need to recall to mind. In fact, the Hebrew word, it's a verb for to recall, means to return, to remember. And since we're in a spirit, you need to remember the goodness of the Lord. That means you need to be in the word, amen? You'd be reading the revelations about how faithful he is to his people. So you can recall his goodness to your mind and how good he is. And uh, it's a discipline. So you're going through trials. The enemy's hammering you, saying you're doomed. He doesn't, God doesn't love you or whatever he's saying. There's no hope for you. You need to recall the mind and say, no, he says he works everything to good. For the gather for the good, for those who love him. And they're called according to his purpose. Amen. His, his compassions never cease. Amen. It's by his great love uh, that he spared us that we're not consumed. And you need to remind yourself of that reality. You need to remind yourself of how, God, how Job turned out. It says, remember the prophets, remember Job. In the New Testament, it says that, James 5. And how God blessed them. Amen. You remember how God blessed Jeremiah in the end. And how we're being blessed by his life right now. And he didn't even know that was going to happen, I don't think. Not to the degree it happened, at least. So we need to learn discipline. The Bible says the weapons of our warfare that you have at your disposal are not carnal or fleshly, but they're mighty through God. They're powerful to the pulling down of strongholds and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. That's 2 Corinthians 10, 4, and 5. You need to cast down imaginations and lies about God. And you need to bring your thoughts captive to Christ. I mean, that's, that's critical if you want to be, have a strong walk in the Lord. You want to be that tree planted by the water. Your roots have to go into the water. They have to be in God's word, amen? So when it gets miserable out there and everything turns to become a desert, you're still able to have green leaves and thrive and bear fruit because you're, you're in God's word. You're in him. You're rejoicing in him, amen? That's a huge key, you guys. You know, I was teaching this to one of my grandchildren, to Eli, not too long ago. And uh, this, 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 I said, Eli, they always want stories. So I try to, sometimes I make up stories, you know, all the time I do with these kids. And it can be taxing at times. It's like, okay, Lord, help me, you know. And uh, I'm sure a lot of times the Lord said, I didn't help you on that one, you know. But uh, I go, Eli, I go, and I'm trying to tell him how to keep his thoughts captive. He's a great kid, you know, but he's, sometimes his imagination will run amok and he'll have some strange idea to just go and, you know, do something dangerous or something that probably not very wise. Greg's laughing because he knows him and Liam hang out and they're both like, <laughs> Mary's going off, saying, uh, you know what? I told Eli, I go, picture a monkey over there on the couch. A fluorescent, purple, I can't remember my exact words, monkey with blazing, you know, Trans, you know, eyes, red eyes, looking at you, smiling at you, eating a, he, he escaped from the LA Zoo, and he's, he's, he's looking at you, smiling, and he's like, okay, go, you got it, yeah, okay, stop thinking about it, he's like, I can't, pop up. I can't stop thinking about it now, you know, <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I go, and he was like laughing, saying, I can't stop thinking about this monkey pop up, and I'm like, yeah, you can, he goes, no, I can't, and I go, hey, what's your favorite kind of candy? Boom. I like this. I like that. I like this. I, I like chocolate, you know, was the first thing he said. I like chocolate. He's, you know, I go, look, you stopped thinking about the monkey, didn't you? I have to be honest with you. I like him to say, yeah, you're right. It worked. Pop up. I just learned how to grow spiritually. No, he says, no, I'm thinking about the monkey again. 
I go, yeah, cool. I'm reminded him, you know. <laughs> uh, but he's like, I go, but you had stopped thinking about the monkey when you're thinking about the candy you like. And what en- the enemy wants to do, he wants us to fixate on our problem. Amen. And thinking about candy is not going to get you through your problem, okay? But putting your eyes on who? On the Lord. Amen. Who is involved and loves you and, 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 and isn't caught by surprise. Either you got in the you got in the cistern yourself because of your sin and you need to repent and cry out to God and ask for forgiveness because you've been spanked or because the Bible says all those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution and you're suffering persecution because of the fact that we live in a wicked world and we ourselves we're all falling short of God's glory amen either way the Lord's there for you if you cry out to him for forgiveness he'll forgive you and he'll heal you amen and he'll deliver you like David said you know he delivered him from the pit or if, you know, it's just circumstances because we live in a fallen world. Either way, the Lord is always the answer. Either way, we should be able to rejoice in the Lord. If you've been forgiven, it's something you got into, and you cry out and you repent, and he forgives you, you should be so thankful because he forgave you too, amen? But if it wasn't something you did, but something somebody else did that was horrible to you, you're still thankful because you realize he works that for the good too, amen? And that he loves you and that he's in control of all things. Amen? Now, we don't, when we say he's in control of all things, we don't mean that he causes all things. Amen? Satan causes a lot of things. Amen? Every time we sin, it's contrary to God's will for us. His, that's sin because we do contrary to his will. Amen? So Calvinism teaches that he causes all things. And even though they like to deny it, that, that would make him the author of sin. Because they'll say he predestined babies to be raped by adults and they had, people had no ultimate choice to do it or not because God chose it. It happened before they existed. That's not Bible, guys. There's certain things where God says, it's never came to my mind. This was not my hope, my heart, his desire. He never decreed it, he says. So, but God is in control of all things, meaning he does allow things to happen. Because, but since he's a master chess player, he even takes the evil that happens, right? And redeems us through it, amen? And uses it for his glory in the end. And that's powerful, so while he doesn't cause all things, he's ultimately in control of all things. Peter, Satan has sought permission to sift you like wheat. He granted that permission. But I pray that your faith will not fail. But he was countering it. Amen? And he used that in Peter's life to humble him, to get him to the point to become the apostle he wanted him to become. Amen? And God allows things in our lives to humble us. But he doesn't let us go through more than we can handle. Amen? The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, and this is after these guys, he's, Paul says in chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, I beat my body down, so after I preached to others, I myself would not become rejected by God. And then he goes in chapter 10 about how the Israelites, you know, they were set free from, from Egypt, right? Remember the blood, the, 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 the Passover lamb blood? He didn't mention that, but he, they were set free, and they were baptized in the Sea of Moses. They drank from the spiritual rock, which Paul says was Christ. They ate for the manna that came from heaven, all pictures of Jesus. And even though they had all these experiences, many of them rebelled. And God put a lot of them to death. And then he said, that's where he goes on to say twice that these were written down as examples so that we won't fall like they did. But then in chapter 10, verse 12, he says, Let him who thinks he stands take heed, pay attention, lest he fall. Then in verse 13, there's that famous verse, there's no temptation that's taken you that is not common to man, but God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted or tested beyond that which you're able, able but with the uh, temptation or testing, he will also give you a way of what? Escape, that you may be able to endure it, amen? He is faithful, great is thy faithfulness. 
He gives us a way of escape. We don't have to fall. No one can say, I had no choice. I just took this route because, you know, it's the cards that were dealt with me. I had to know. We could all shine for Jesus. God doesn't indiscriminately just say, hey, I want you doomed. He loves us. He doesn't want to let anyone perish. He gives you the way of escape. Amen. You must choose to take the way of escape. Amen. Because he's, but he's faithful. He doesn't allow you to go through what, even though people go through horrendous things, guess what? Do you know our body's going to shock when you hit a certain degree of pain? That's God's mercy. He knows exactly where that threshold should be. Because he doesn't allow us to go through more than we can handle in him. You don't handle in him, then you're in trouble. Amen. So he's amazing, amazing God. And when the enemy, when you're going through a trial, don't stay fixated on the trial. It's like we talked about Peter, right? Looked at the waves, began to sink. Who's the one who grabbed Peter's hand? Jesus. Doesn't say he reached out and grabbed Jesus' leg and said, Jesus. Jesus said, ah, let me think about it. No. Jesus went, grabbed his hand. And then Peter's walking on water again, you know? You get fixated on the waves, the trials, the problems. And by the way, that could be temptation or trial there in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. The Greek word's parasmos. And throughout the New Testament, it's translated trial too. It's translated either way. And I believe, personally, every single trial also has a temptation. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a trial that you can make the wrong choice. And every temptation is also a trial because you can be victorious over temptation because it gives you a way of escape to, to be able to endure it. So, but the answer is always seeking Jesus. And here Jeremiah is in this incredible trial. Oh, and he's tempted to just be done with God. I'm just going to, you know, he just, no. Then I recall the mind. What do you recall the mind? And then I have hope. Hope is important. Hope is the certainty of God's deliverance amidst trials. That's what hope is in this context. It's the hope of deliverance and a certain certainty of deliverance in the midst of a trial. And he has that hope. Why? And in the very next verse, verse 22, because of thy great love or thy loving kindness. Amen? That they don't fail. Because of your mercies, we're not consumed. They are new every morning. Amen? And, and let's look at the passage. Verse 22, verse 21. This I recall the mind, therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving kindness indeed never cease. His compassions never fail. They are new how often? Every morning. Isn't that good to know this morning that you woke up that his mercy, his grace, his love was there? And one of the words used in uh, the Hebrew text is said uh, up earlier when he's talking about his great uh, love in verse 22. And that's a multidimensional word that they don't know how to translate. I mean, we don't know the best translation because there's not a really good English word to translate hased. Because it can mean covenantal love, loyal love, faithful love, loving kindness is how the King James usually translates it, you know. And it has a lot of different uh, potential translations, which the NASB, and I'm talking about 322 now, loving kindness is translated in, uh, well, in the NASB, it's translated loving kindness, right? In the net, NET, it's translated loyal kindness. Because it's not just kindness, it's, a, it's a, a sense of faithfulness, loyalty to us, because God loves us, and, and, and steadfast love, if you have the English Standard Version, has stead, it's translated steadfast love, and the New Living Translation translates it faithful love. It's such a better word than our English word love. <laughs> and that's, the, that's hesed, which you translate, literate that in English from the Hebrew, H-E, 
S-E-D, hesed. I'm not going to say it like the Jews and honkalugi, hesed, you know. But uh, it's a beautiful Hebrew word. And, uh, and you know what? What kind of loving kindness? I mean, what's Jeremiah talking about? You know, and how, you know, his loving kindnesses are there for him. Remember Jeremiah 29, 11? How many of you guys have that memorized or, or just love that verse where he says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Does he say to put your feet in wet cement and sink you to the depths of the sea? No. He says, plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you hope and a what? And a future. Now, we just quote that verse as though everything's going to be nice today. But that verse is written to them in the context of the fact they're going to Babylon for 70 years. That means many of the people, many of the people will go to Babylon and never return because they're older. Even those who are middle-aged at that point, 70 years, they're going to die in Babylon. So we look at that verse and we say, oh, oh, how horrible. No, that makes the verse even more beautiful. Amen? Because he's saying in the midst of your trial, amen, I'm giving you a hope and a future, not just a future. While you're waiting for your future, you have hope in the present, amen? Because you can look to the Lord in the present. And he said, when you get to Babylon, he said, plant crops, live there, be good citizens of Babylon, amen? And we're in a foreign country right now. Our citizenship is in heaven, amen? We're ambassadors here, okay? We're living here for a while. First Corinthians 6, he's given us all things in joy. We can be blessed, but there'll be times where we're in the cistern. There'll be times where we're persecuted, we're on the dunghill, Amen. But we can still prosper in the Lord spiritually. And that's often where you most often prosper, spiritually. And that's the most important kind of prospering there is. Spiritual prosperity, being rich in Jesus. Are you with me? This is all huge. This is all a very, very important to understand. Chad told me that. I didn't know why. He goes, I don't know. Eli's been having strange dreams lately. A green monkey's been chasing him. And uh, no, not true. Okay. That's just an illustration got to be careful with some of your illustrations with kids, but he got it. He's old enough and so forth. But it's interesting. I love the fact that his compassions, his mercy is new every morning. How many woke up this morning and realized the Lord's arms are open to you? If you'll just come to him, amen? The prodigal son, when he came back, he didn't think his father would be open and he's going to celebrate that he was back, but they were, Amen? Unless we're rebelling to God and refuse to turn to him. But even then, he has open arms to forgive you if you repent. And it's important to think this through, guys. Really important to get that we get this. Because, and they're new every morning. I thought, isn't that interesting? Because you see that in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven. First request, you know, give us this day our daily bread. Not give us our bread today and then we'll check in a month from now. Give us this day our what? Daily bread. That's something we're praying for daily. And I look at it two ways. Physically, Lord, meet my needs according to your riches and glory. But spiritually, Jesus is the bread from heaven. Amen? And the very next thing after that, right after he says that, he tells us to pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. That's that daily forgiveness. Oh, no, We're, we could be perfect right now where we never have to ask for forgiveness again. The Bible says, he that says he's without sin is a liar. The truth isn't in him. 1 John 1, 8, 1 John 1, 10. Uh, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12 that when you go to heaven, there'll be the spirits of just men made perfect. 
That's when you're made perfect. Amen? That's right on verses 25 through 29 or so in, in, in Hebrews chapter 12. Right now, we press on to perfection. Amen? We grow in the Lord. We can't be in rebellion to the Lord. Sin should be the exception. Not, rebellion should not mark our lives because if you're in rebellion to God, that's, you need to get right. Make sure you're right with Jesus or you're in big trouble. Amen? But we all still fall short of God's glory because none of us love the way he loves perfectly. And he says, I give you a new commandment that you love one another as I love you. And we're not there yet. Amen? I go, don't go through a day where I'm like, I was absolutely perfect in my love in everything I said and thought and did. Nope. I, I would hope and wish and pray so, and I do, be perfect as he's perfect, be holy as he is holy. We, we press forward and we press on to perfection, Paul says. But we're growing, as Peter says. If you're perfect already, you can't grow anymore. And we're all growing. That's part of the sanctification life that we live as Christians. Now, it's interesting to me that when he says, give us this day our daily bread, the very next thing is forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. I'm like, yeah, I need the physical bread, Lord, but I need the, the, the new forgiveness every morning. Thank, thankfully, your compassions are new every morning. Amen? And what would happen if you would save up a bunch of manna and said, I'm just going to collect extra manna, man, so I'd have to go out for a week and just hang out and watch Netflix. You know, what would happen to that manna that you collected that was extra? It would rot before you, man. The worms would get in and eat it. That was God's way of saying that we need to have a fresh relationship with him. We need to not rely on a past victory that he's given us, but we need to recognize the victory is always in him. And every morning, every day, we need to seek him. And I encourage the first thing you should do when you wake up, and you say, I, I wake up several times a night, that's me, you know, I, unless I've had a, just a really, you know, just day. You know, sometimes I'll sleep through quite a bit, and uh, I praise God for that when that happens. But I just love it when I wake up because I get to say, thank you for your mercies. They're new every morning, even if it's 3 in the morning or 5 or whatever it is. And just you're getting up and you hit the ground running, man. If you've got, if you, you're like, man, I go to bed too late and then I just wake up and hit snooze and I can barely get up and get in the shower, then go, try to go to bed a little bit earlier. Amen? Try to go to bed earlier. Say, I'm going to go to bed earlier so I can wake up in the morning and seek the Lord. Amen? That's important. Now, it's interesting. He goes on to say, and I love this, at the uh, verse 23, they are new every morning. Then he says what? Great is your what? Great is your faithfulness. His faithfulness is great. That's one of his attributes. When we study the attributes of God, his faithfulness is amazing. Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah also wrote this, verses 35 through 36. Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for light by day and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea uh, so that the waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If, if this fixed order of the stars, sun, moon, all that, departs from before you, declares the Lord, then the offspring of Israel also will cease from being a nation before me forever. Now, 2,000 years, or two, two, 300 years ago, you might scratch your head and say, just 200 years ago, wow, Israel hasn't been a country for 1,800 years. But the sun is still there, the moon, the stars, the ocean is still roaring. I thought he said he keeps his promises. Guess what happened in, on May 14, 1948? Israel became a what? A nation again. That's never happened with any other nation. Where they ceased to be a nation for, you know, several hundred years, to almost 2,000, and became a nation again. And then, but he said they he would. And I wish I could get into all the prophecies. We're going to be working on a video on Israel's, the prophecy about Israel pretty soon, you know. But it's amazing uh, when you think about it, his faithfulness. So when you see the sun and the stars and the moon, you say, ah, oh, the promises to Israel. And that really pertains to Jeremiah, right? Because he's like, what's going to happen? 
you promise a hope in the future. And guess what? He's faithful. That's God right there. Israel's a miracle, guys. Okay? It's a miracle. You need to say, wow, his, what he did with Israel pertains to the promises he's made to me. Amen? That he's faithful. He's a faithful God. So when I look at the stars, the sun, and the moon, there's a lot that we think about, but I think God's faithfulness a lot. When I think of Israel, I think of God's faithfulness. And, when, and, and right here, Jeremiah, I mean, he mentions that more than once, by the way, of his faithfulness. And he summarizes the first couple verses that we read, verse 21 and 22 there, in verse 23, they're new every morning, great is your faithfulness. That's the most popular part of that verse. In fact, anybody ever sing this hymn? Great is thy faithfulness, right? You've heard, no, everybody knows the hymn, right? And it's interesting, that hymn says, great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Such a beautiful song. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast seen, uh, been, thou, now this is as thou hast been, thou forever it will be. Doesn't change. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand has provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Summer and winter, and springtime and harvest, sun, moon, and stars in their courses above, join with all nature in manifold witness to thy great faithfulness, mercy, and love. Pardon for sin and a peace that endures thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Wow, says so much. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessing all mine with 10,000 beside. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand has provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord unto me. It's interesting. Sometimes I like to read about hymn writers and what brought them to write a certain song. And some songs like, you know, uh, the, the, the brother that wrote the song because his wife and kids, everyone perished in the, in the sea, right? Uh, what is that song? How Great Thou Art or, uh, I'm sorry, which is it called? It Is Well. All is, it Is Well With My Soul. That's right. It Is Well. And he's singing, It Is Well. All Is Well With My Soul. You know, it's a beautiful song, but he just lost his whole family and everything, and that's why he wrote it, to say it's still well. Because he knew God was good. He recalled that to mind. He doesn't understand everything. They sunk to the bottom of the Atlantic in a vessel. Yet, so they have these great stories around some of these hymns, but guess what? I read about this hymn. I said, I want to see the guy who wrote this. You know what I read, the first thing I read? There's no great event in his life that, you know, there's nothing he went through that really caused him to write this song. He just wrote it. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. It's still a great song. You have to go through, you know, he wrote a lot of songs. You know, every have a great event for each song, you'd be in trouble. You'd be like a pinata, you know? <laughs> you know? So um, that's cool. You know, but you know what? Then I read more about his life. And the more I looked at it, I go, you kidding? There was a huge event in his life. And it's probably because I was studying this because of something I went through with my COVID situation in the hospital. And I was studying this guy's life, and I thought, wow, this guy became a pastor, a Methodist pastor. And that was his hope and dream to just share God's word and bring people to Christ. And guess what? He became very sickly, where he couldn't be a pastor anymore. I thought, oh, that's crazy. And he couldn't serve in the way he wanted to serve. He's only a pastor for about a year. And he writes this song about God's faithfulness to him in the midst of his, what was his hope and dream, and the Lord only allowed it for whatever reason in his sovereignty for a year, about how the Lord's faithful. He didn't get bitter and say, oh, I can't be a pastor. You know, I, I thought, this is incredible. You know, and I guess when you're in a certain place, things reverberate more. I'm like, you kidding? This guy's life, he probably for years... You know, uh, and it's interesting, he, when he wrote this song, his name is Thomas uh, Chis, uh, Chisholm, uh, when Chisholm wrote this song, 
uh, he, he, this, this poem, he sent it to William Runyon, who in 1923 set the words to music. And Runyon said this, This particular poem held such an appeal that I prayed most earnestly that my tune might carry over its message in a worthy way. He was so blown away by the words, right? And Chisholm had recalled in 1941, the guy who wrote this, the former pastor, who couldn't be pastor anymore because of his health, my income has not been large at any time due to impaired health. Never had a big income, but great is thy faithfulness, right? In the earlier years, which had followed me up until now. So he never became real successful in the world's eyes, but he was incredibly successful in the Lord's eyes, and that's what counts. Although I must not fail to record here the unfailing faithfulness of a covenant-keeping God, and that he has given me many wonderful displays of his providing care, for which I am filled with astonishing gratefulness. Isn't that beautiful? I'm like, are you kidding? This guy has a great story. This is all of our story for all of us who cling to Jesus because we all don't have everything and we shouldn't be seeking everything. We should be seeking the Lord and his kingdom first and then add what we need to our lives. But then we get to have a relationship with him and that's the joy that transcends anything people that seem to have everything can have because those who have everything have nothing ultimately. Tom Brady is coming up on his 10th Super Bowl. I played for you after you won a few of those Super Bowls being interviewed on 60 Minutes saying, how come I'm empty inside after winning these Super Bowls? I don't understand it. We get it, right? Because you don't have the Lord. You know? He says now he has a makeshift altar that his wife encouraged him because she's a witch, he said. And now he, he, he you know, he's probably pinning needles in Mahome, little things in Mahome right now. No, maybe not. Hopefully he's not doing that. But he has this, this altar whereby he, you know, uses spells and stuff so he can become, be a winner. Jesus says, what a prophet man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Okay. Hey, you know, if you're a Patriots fan, I'm not, you know, coming down on you personally. You might want to become a Dolphin fan, that's all. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> now, don't worry, there's no threat to you guys. <laughs> but it's interesting because this song, and the only reason I looked in this song, I look in other songs, songs at times, but I never looked at the, who wrote this song. But you know what? I told you there's something I'd share later with you regarding, because some people, some people have been like, why don't you share more of what you went through and everything? And I just sh- shared in pieces. I want to spend a whole message on my, what I went through, but I was just talking to the, I have a couple, two cardiologists, one in see me, one in Santa Barbara. And the one in Santa Barbara is supposed to be incredibly good. We'll see by the grace of God. I'm praying that God's hand will guide him with regard to uh, ablations. And ablations only work in 50 to 70% of people, you know, so most people have, or not most, but a good percentage of people have them, and then they still have to deal with the AFib, which you can still deal with with medication, you know, which is what I'm doing right now. And uh, so not to get into too many details, but uh, I hadn't talked to him for quite some time because I've been dealing with my other cardiologist, but he's doing the surgery. And I talked to him Friday because he's the one who told me that don't get COVID, you won't survive. Two, three days later, I got, two, three days later, I got COVID. And uh, we talked about that conversation where he shared that with me Friday because we're setting up the date for the surgery, which, wow, Monday, yeah, opening, wow, tomorrow. So we're talking, and uh, I told him, you know, I said, you know, my echocardiogram that came back, uh, showed that my heart went, because he knew my heart was at 34%. And he said, that's why I wouldn't survive. You have a hard time even with AFib, but with 34%, your heart's barely hanging on, supposedly. And I said, you know, you know, it wasn't two, three months that my heart got stronger, because that's what I was told, it gets stronger in two, three months. But it was two to three weeks, or whatever it was, it was at the very beginning of my stay in there. And my heart, by the way, was still racing. 
It wasn't under control. They were trying to get my heart under control. The medications I was taking just for those two, three weeks had never brought it under control. So it should have been getting weaker and weaker. It, slow, it, it slowed it down a bit, I think. It was like the 120s or whatever. instead of the 140 beats per minute, you know. And I was only in the hospital for a day. It was, I think, the second day I was in the hospital. That all of a sudden I said, the echocardiogram showed my heart was normal strength. And he just told me on the phone, he said, he said, Joe, if your heart wasn't normal, you know, strength at that time, he goes, that's otherwise you would have died, you know, if it was at 34%. So by the grace of God, it got strong real fast, and I really believe that was the prayers of the saints, the hand of God and his, his grace, you know, and his glory. But when I was in the hospital, not knowing that, thinking it's at 34%, my cardiologist said, don't get COVID, you'll die, and not having any visitors and realizing, you know, man, a great place to get close to the Lord, right? And I'm just seeking the Lord through it all and, and crying out to him. And I felt that just before I went in the hospital, when I was trying to isolate, before I knew I had COVID for sure, crying out to God, I felt that he cho- showed me that I would survive that ordeal. I don't know how for how long, but that, at least that ordeal. And I shared that with Lisa on the phone because we, we couldn't be around people. Then I'm in the hospital. I still didn't know what his plan was. And it was a more subjective thing where I felt he had spoken to me because I wasn't absolutely positive. It wasn't like skywriting or, you know, but it was like a strong impression through your time of prayer and tears before the Lord, what's your will, you know? Because I'm like, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm 57 years old. I know for you young people that sounds ancient, but I, I feel kind of young still, you know? And what's your plan? I, I go, you don't have to share it with me. I don't know if I'm going or, or staying, but there's sure a lot of work I'd like to do. Some things I didn't finish yet, but your will be done because you can use a donkey, you can use anyone. Your will be done, Lord. And through that time, as I was praying and crying out to the Lord, this doesn't happen to me. It's probably happened to me like twice, you know, uh, where maybe three or four times, I don't know, throughout my Christian walk, where there's like a brand new Christian or some beautiful song being sang worship or what have you. A handful of times in all my Christian walk. And I love music. I write songs. I play before the Lord. But not these real powerful dreams with powerful worship going on. A few occasions. And I'm laying there, and there were three or four times that happened in the course of just a few days. I take that back. I was there for four or five days, five days, and a couple days in isolation. So I think I had one of those type of dreams right before I went in. So three or four times in the course of uh, six, seven days or whatever it was. And guess what? The last time it happened, I was earnestly crying out to the Lord to the point of tears, like, Lord, what's going on? And I was rejoicing Him, thankful, you know, and, and, and focused on Scripture, memorizing Scripture. But when you're not able to see anybody and you don't know if you're ever going to be able to just tell them you love them, you know, and uh, say goodbye or whatever, and it's just such a hard way to go out, you know, and you just want to share your love with people and just your, your family and everybody. And as I'm going through that, I'm just crying out to the Lord, and, uh, and I fell asleep, and I'm sleeping, and this was the last time it happened, but this was the most powerful by far. By far. The other times it happened, it was just like beautiful Christian music. It was like, wow, what was that? I never, songs I didn't even know. You know, I'm singing with somebody else. We're worshiping God. This time I went up to Jessie Pirro. I didn't share this with Jessie yet. And I went up to her, and she was sitting with a, uh, a uh, 7, 8, 10, 12 people. I don't know, a group of people, younger people like herself. And I went up to Jessie, and I go, Jess, I go, I go, and I was telling them all, but I, said, but I looked at her. I said, hey, I want to encourage you uh, that when you get married, glorify the Lord and have some Christ- have Christian music, you know. And I was te- encouraging her in that. And I thought, 
And Jessie loves the Lord, you know, and I'm sure she'll glorify the Lord with her. Jessie, are you seeing anyone? Because I don't think you're even seeing anybody right now. <laughs> so this isn't prophetic for you necessarily, okay? But I just it was encouraging you. I was encouraging to have Christian music and the other young people there too to glorify the Lord. I thought, which is kind of interesting because I woke up later, I go, that's like my ministry, part of my ministry. Like the Lord's saying, you're going to keep ministering, you know? But that was not where it ended. I said, I want, you to, I want to encourage you, man. Glorify the Lord with your music, you know? Have him in the center. And I'm kind of, even in my dream, I'm feeling a little bit like, I don't know if this is real receptive. Jesse and her friend took me and threw me in a well. No, I'm just kidding. That didn't happen. <laughs> Jesse loves the Lord. She loves Christian music. But anyway, so I'm, as I'm saying this, and I pause, and I'll send a friend of hers that's sitting next to her who I'd never seen before, but your age, Jesse, and I didn't know you are going to be here today, so this is pretty cool, is he, uh, she, this other gal, she starts, she opens her mouth and starts singing, but she's kind of looking forward. And she's singing, great is thy faithfulness, right? And then Jesse starts singing, and the whole group there starts singing, great is thy faithfulness. And it is angelic. Nothing like I've ever heard or could imagine hearing until I'm in heaven. They're singing, great is thy faithfulness. And before I know it, I'm back in another group, and we're all hanging out, and they're all singing, I'm singing with them. But it's so powerful. And then beyond some trees, I see some hands up. I can't make out all the people, but there's hands up, singing, great is thy faithfulness. And everybody's singing it together, great is thy faithfulness. And it's being sang to the Lord, but I know it's for me. And they're saying, because it's powerful, it's like, Joe, he's faithful. Great is thy faithfulness. And it's like the Lord just saying, I'm faithful. I'm faithful, Joe. Don't worry. I got you in my hands. And I woke up, and I didn't think that that meant necessarily that I'd get through my trial for sure. I already thought I was going to be delivered from it, but I wasn't positive. But I knew this. And I already knew this, but I knew on another level. I felt the Lord was supernaturally saying, Joe, whether you live or die, I'm faithful. I got you. And I was already saying, Lord, I know your plan's best. You know, you know you're infinite. All those things, if you take me. It's your will. But I was able to have a peace that passed human understanding, which is what Paul talks about when he says, Rejoice in the Lord. Don't be anxious to anything but everything with prayer and pleadings, with thanksgiving, make your request be known to the Lord. Amen? And you have to do that. You can't just rejoice in the Lord. You rejoice in him because you give everything to him and know that he's in control and you've submitted to him. Amen? And it was so, I can't tell you right now, guys. It was almost like everybody's voice was an amplifier. And I was singing, but at the same time, and, and all I remember is a chorus being sang, great is thy faithfulness. And, and I'd look, but I remember looking, and it was like, this happened because I encouraged them, but it just spread, and it was like, no, the Lord's encouraging me. And I'm telling you right now, that's why I thought, man, and what's really crazy is I went to this passage because I would use this, I was being disciplined when I was in the hospital, Okay, recall the mind, the Lord's goodness, and so forth. But I kept thinking about, you know, his mercies are new every morning. You know, I recall the mind because of the great goodness of our God, or the great love of our God, you know, and so forth. And, but then when I read the text, I'm like, that's right. Great is thy faithfulness is at the end of that text. And there's a lot of things that just kind of just went together for me through my trial. But I just want to say thank you for your prayers. But the Lord was faithful to me through my trial because when his, a child asks him for a piece of bread or something to eat, he doesn't give them. He says, a serpent, Jesus said. Amen. He loves us. He takes care of us. He didn't have to do that. I could have just went through my trial like it was the other days and just continued to seek him. And he could have taken me or wh- whatever. But he is faithful, you guys. No matter, to live as Christ and to die is gain. Amen. I was telling that to a brother right before I was isolated and then went to the hospital. 
That to live as Christ, die as gain. That's where I'm at. He asked me where I was at. That's where I'm at. And that's, that's a reality. But it becomes a more crystallized reality the more we seek the Lord. So Jesse, yeah, I just want to reiterate that. You want to have some godly music at your wedding? And we have another wedding going up, going on, coming up over there with your family, right? Pretty soon. I think it's Emma's, right? Praise the Lord. So uh, anyway, <laughs> the Lord is good, okay? He, he's awesome. He's wonderful. Back to chapter, let's, let's finish this up in Lamentations chapter 3. Look at the next part of the verse. The Lord is my what? My portion. What does that mean? The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have what? Hope in him. Now he's telling us why we can have hope again. The Lord is my what? My portion. This all, remember I said everything just came together for me after my trial as far as the Lord encouraging me? And it wasn't his plan for me to die at that moment? I don't know. I could still go. I might not leave the hospital tomorrow. I don't know. You know, I hope to. I think I'm going to. But I may not. I may go be the Lord. I don't know his plan, but I knew he, he got me through that to say a little bit more. Let everybody know how much I love them and everything. But I'll tell you what. He says, the Lord is my portion, therefore I have hope. And that made me think of what became a very important verse to me during my trial in the hospital. Remember in Psalm 73, where it says the guy almost fell away, but then he went in the sanctuary of the Lord. He saw that the Lord puts the wicked feet in, in, in slippery places, but you are, he says, when he goes to the Lord, he goes, you are my portion. He goes, my heart may fail me. Ah, very appropriate verse for me <laughs> in the hospital, you know, but the Lord is my portion forever. Amen? And, and, and so... That, that, that was in me. I was like, wow, I always focus on the first couple of verses here. But he says, the Lord is my portion. There it is again. And what does that even mean, the Lord is my portion? You know what it means. In Israel, we don't use that terminology in our modern vernacular often. But in Israel, your portion was your land, your cattle. What you had to pass on to others. And where the hope was for many people was their ancestry and what they're going to pass on. And, and like Job, when, what did Satan attack? His portion. What he had, he owned. And even his kids. But guess what? When you're saying the Lord is my portion, you're saying he is my everything. My identity is in him. He's my future. He's my hope. Amen? He's my everything. And you should be able to say that before you could say, before you can say my wife, if you're married or husband is your portion or your kids or, or your land, whether you're married or single, you should be able to say first, the Lord is my portion. Amen? And that will get you through everything. Because if you're married or you have kids and your focus is more on them than the Lord, you're poor because then you don't have the Lord. He can't be second. You have to seek first the kingdom, Jesus said, as righteousness. Then he'll take care of you. Amen? So make sure the Lord is your portion. Amen? He is your portion. And when calamity strikes, you can put your trust in him. And uh, whether you have bad health or, you know, you have no money or wealth at all, the Lord is your portion. Jeremiah, these guys had nothing to seem, but he found, he says, therefore I have hope. That's the key, guys. The Lord's got to be your portion. Amen? And it's just amazing. And, uh, it's just there's, there's more I would like to say on this passage, but I think I've said enough. And I think we got it. Uh, let the Lord be your portion, amen. How many of you could say the Lord is your portion, you know? How many could say, yeah, he is my portion? Make sure he's your portion. Seek first the kingdom of God. And therefore you'll have hope. So what is he saying there? Going through horrible times, you're going through horrible times, do what he did. 
Yet I recall to mind. Amen. And therefore I will have hope because of the greatness of his love and because of his steadfast love or his mercies were not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new. How often? Every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Therefore, I will say, the Lord is my portion, and therefore I will have what? Hope. So rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice, Paul states. And he's writing from prison. This is the key. He says, I learned the secret of how to be content, whether I'm abounding or whether I'm abased, have nothing. Rejoice in the Lord. Trusting in him. He can do all things he says in that same passage through Christ who strengthens me when he says he learned the lesson. That's the key. Look to the Lord. And I'm going to tell you right now, many Christians are focused on health and wealth gospel, focused on all kinds of things. And when trials come, even small trials, they crumble. They're professing Christians. We have to make sure we're biblical Christians and that our hope is in Jesus. So when things get crushed around us, that was never our hope in the first place. And you'll find out really quick if your hope is in things other than Jesus. And he's speaking to you right now through his word. And if you don't listen to him speak to you, then he will. He speaks, then he what? Then he spanks, amen? We don't want to spank you, amen? In fact, in chapter 3, verse 33, a few verses later, if I kept reading, a few verses later, it says he does not afflict the sons of men willingly. He doesn't want to spank us, but he does it because he wants us to grow up and trust him and obey him, amen? Praise God. Can we pass out the cup and bread?